1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Good morning. <laughs> Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. Yes. You were cleansed and you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So good. So he's not saying, oh, all those people out there who do, he's like, this was you, <laughs> right? We were all in the same broken boat. This was you, but if you're a believer, you've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been made right with God. And now the Spirit of God dwells within you. His grace empowers you for righteousness. That is good news. That's super good news. And he says, don't forget, this broken stuff that was of the world, there are two kingdoms, you have to choose one. You can't live like this kingdom and be in this kingdom as well. You can't inherit this kingdom and live in life if you're living in this kingdom, by the ways of this kingdom. <laughs> already, already super quiet, okay. So, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about sexual sin. Not all sins are equal. All sins are, you know what, all sins separate you from God if you're an unbeliever. But let me tell you, the effects of sin is not equal. And if you look in the New Testament, the two sins that seem to be the most pernicious and most devastating are sexual sin and gossip. Those two things get nailed like zero tolerance. Why the church has tolerated one and not the other, I don't know. But they are both destructive. They're, the only fruit they can have is destruction. They both carry a poison that's not just destructive for the individual, but it's destructive for everybody around you and destructive for the culture at large. Not all sin is equal. If you look at the list of sins in the New Testament where it says, hey, stay away from this, stay away from this, stay away from this, you won't inherit the kingdom if you're involved in this. Sexual sin is the front of all those lists for a reason. Because it so deeply affects us in who we are. God's made a design for human sexuality. And anything outside of that design is going to be corrupt and then is going to produce destruction. How many of you can just say, yes, that's totally true? Three of us are like, yes, me. <laughs> when design is destroyed, you remove purpose. And when you get rid of purpose, you get rid of accountability. God made things a certain way for his purposes. He has a design for your life. He has a design for your life, and it is good. He has made you for purpose. When you get rid of design, you get rid of purpose, and you throw off accountability, right? And in our culture right now, when it comes to sexual, the things that Bible lists as sexual sin, it happens under a veneer of virtue. Like sexual sin's okay because it's loving, or it's kind to not see it as sin, right? It's, acceptance of these things is masking itself as virtue. But it's not virtuous. The people who talk a lot about tolerance are the most intolerant in our culture right now. So there's like a face of tolerance, but there's an anger and a destruction behind it because it's corruption. It can't produce life. Anything outside of God's design can't produce life. It's going to be deformed, right? It's going to be defective. Now, here's the deal. It's not like, oh, 
So some people are defective. Guess what? We were all born sexually broken. Every single one of us. <laughs> Every single one of us were broken sexually in the fall. In the fall of man, Genesis 3, we all got broken. And every area of our lives got broken, and all of us got broken sexually. We all start in the same boat. So it's not, this isn't about judgment, like, oh, this person and that group and that, nah. We all got broken sexually, and people who don't know Jesus, listen, they're going to look for love in all the wrong places. Because this world is lonely and cold. And so outside the house of God, there is no judgment on that. I don't blame people who don't know Jesus for not doing stuff Jesus' way. If I didn't know Jesus, I'd be looking for love in all the wrong places because I'd feel alone and I would want company, (laughs) right? So it's not about having a judgment outside the house. Paul is writing this to the house of God. Like, don't be deceived. Just because these things are accepted around you, don't be deceived. Like, they reap destruction in your life. If you don't do it God's way, internally and externally sometimes, there's going to be a brokenness in your relationships. And it's not going to get solved until you come into God's design for you. That's where there's life. That's where there's peace. That's where there's joy. That's where there's security. That's where you feel rock solid. Only in his design. So, Now, how people manifest sexual brokenness can be all kinds of different ways. Being attracted to someone you're not married to and, and like, lusting after someone you don't have covenant with, that's broken sexually. God says don't commit adultery or fornication if you're not married, right? That's broken sexually. Same-sex attraction. That's a form of brokenness. People who have body dysphoria, I have male chromosomes, but I, I want to be a woman. This is a form of brokenness, but everyone's broken some way. We're all going to have a crucible you have to walk through when it comes to human sexuality to choose God's way or the world's way. Every single one of us. So we're all in that boat together, right? So if you happen to be in a boat where you feel like, I think people in this room, if they knew what my struggle is, They would reject me. They would judge me. I'd be cast out. I want to guarantee you, we all are in a broken boat until Christ comes and brings healing. So we're cheering you on. We are rooting for you. If that's your story right now. Yeah? Okay. You can't mess with design. You can't mess with God's design. When you distort design, there may be instant gratification, but ultimately there's devastation. You can't mess with design and expect to get a greater result than what God intended. The result I get by not doing it God's way can never be greater than the result I would have gotten doing it his way. It's not possible because he's the great designer. When you mess with things with the heart of God's design for this world, the trouble is compounded. Right? My boys love Legos. (laughs) They love Legos. In fact, Max just won a Lego competition yesterday, first place. Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty awesome. Best builder in the room. Yep. (laughs) My older son, Luke, he has built some huge Lego things. Um, he likes he likes the big stuff that moves and has mechanized stuff. Max for Christmas got the Lego like roller coaster, like pirate roller coaster, three in one. So when he got out these Legos, there's a book that comes with it on how to put it together, and it had like a binding, <laughs> like it wasn't like a pamphlet, it was like a book, a book step by step. And they sit and they do that thing step by step. Here's the problem. Max couldn't say, hey, this really cool red Lego, I'm not going to put it where the designer wanted it. I'm going to put it here instead and expect to get the design the designer made. Now, he can make something else. 
but he can't get the design the designer made. And when you start putting Legos in the wrong place at the very beginning, guess what? The earlier you get it out of place and the more you get, it, more you get out of place, the more corrupt the design gets, right? You can't possibly take something in God's design and not use it God's way and get a better result. It's corruption. You can't do it. So all of us might be broken sexually in the fall, and that's how we're born. But how many of you know the good news is there is no sin, there is no bondage, there is no bad choices that are more powerful than the blood of Christ? None. There is not one choice that any person made in this room that's more powerful than what he did on the cross through his death and resurrection. Not one. And here's the cool thing. When you put something under the blood of Christ, you're like, you know what? This was corruption. I repent, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to do it your way. Guess what happens? He doesn't just forgive it. He cleanses it. And he restores righteousness and covers us in his righteousness. And so you don't have to go through your whole life making excuses for why, you know, yeah, but I did. No, that's done. You become a new creation in Christ when you put it under the blood of Christ. And he redeems the things that we broke. There is nothing in this room where you're like, you know, I don't know. Because some of you right now in this room, some of you, if you told your stories to us, you'd be like, I know it creates devastation because back here I got out of design and now I'm in the compounded problem and I'm overwhelmed. And it seems like how could he ever fix this? I guarantee you that if you will give that to him and you'll put your hope in him in that area, he can make all things new. He can work all things together for good for those who love him. So if you're in the storm and you feel like, well, I made this storm, so somehow he's not going to climb into it with you and get you out, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. He knows that most of the holes we're in, we dug. He knows it. <laughs> and yet he climbs down in and he says, get on. We're getting out of here. You have to know he will do that for you today. He will do it for you today if you'll give that to him. So in this series of the next few weeks, we're going to focus um, specifically on how human sexuality is being twisted and corrupted in our culture in the name of love and acceptance and how buying into these lies, eating of that particular tree, right, in the garden. How many of you know there's always a tree in the garden you can't have and you have to make a choice? How eating of that tree is destroying people and tearing apart the fabric of our society. Literally tearing apart the fabric of our society. Um, I watched um, a professor arguing uh, with a student this week. It was a video that went viral. And they were arguing that there were over 100 genders. Over 100 genders. In California now, they're teaching kindergartners there are five genders, and they're learning them. And the teacher can go by Mr., Ms., Mrs., or Mix, MX, to show that they are of a different, non-binary. I'm just telling you, it's gotten so far, it's stupid. And there's no backing in science, right? There's nothing that backs us up except for the fact that there is a corruption that is growing and eating away at people. Um, we'll deal with some of that as we, as we go on through the weeks. So here's my goal over the next few weeks together. Number one, that you would know the Father has a design for your life and it's good. And no matter where you're at or how many Lego pieces got put in the wrong place, there is nothing he can't rescue and redeem and make glorious. There is nothing in this room he can't rescue and redeem and make glorious. No exceptions. He has a design for your life, and it's not too late because you still have breath in your lungs. Number two, second goal. 
I want all of us to have a thorough understanding of what God says about sex and why, particularly in the areas where our culture is deviating from his design. So sex without covenant, right? That's a big area. Homosexuality, gender identity issues, self-gratification, pornography. These are areas of God's design. Or These are areas outside of God's design for sex. And his design is under assault. Now, that's true for all of us. All of us are kind of being bombarded with these messages, right? But I want to speak especially to our Gen Xers or um, millennials and uh, Gen Y in the room. I have some Gen Ys. Millennials in the room. This is the crucible for your generation. And in a lot of ways, if you don't agree, you become an outcast in many circles right now in our society. And I, over the next few weeks, want to equip you so that you understand theologically what God says and why he says it. Because as hard as it's going to be right now in this moment in history to be light and darkness, sexuality is so deep within us that it doesn't take long for destructive stuff to start coming out. And you guys, the millennial generation, the Y generation, you're going to have friends in their 20s and 30s that are already so messed over by the world's philosophy of life that they're going to be hungry for light. And if you can be light and darkness, even those same friends may have rejected you initially, but when they're in the pits of despair because the corruption has brought devastation to their lives, you are the one they're going to remember. And they will have needed you to be light when it was hard to be light. So I want to empower you because <laughs> you have a hard job right now. Your role is hard. But I believe that God is going to, by his grace, strengthen you. He's going to enlighten you. He's going to show you truth through his word. And I believe you'll, you, I'm some of you already are, but I believe you're going to feel powerful in these areas. Not like you're tossed around and trying to figure out how to navigate I feel like he's going to give you a strength and a voice. The third thing I want to see happen over the next few weeks, and I believe is going to happen. It's why I'm talking about this now. It's just a moment. I believe God's saying he is bringing freedom and deliverance in these areas to this house. That anyone who struggles with brokenness, and the brokenness can be not even that you're involved in sexual sin, but you're carrying guilt and shame from things that he has covered, and he wants to free you from that bondage, right? It could be a whole range of things that God wants to do in the house, but I believe it's a moment of freedom and deliverance in the house. I believe addiction, bondage, guilt, shame, and hopelessness is going to get dethroned. Like now, this is the moment. Grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace empowers us for righteousness. And I believe God's grace is filling the house and stirring up hope that there's freedom and life in him. God's not so worried about your past. I'm not worried about your past. I'm worried about present. Where are we at presently? What do we believe presently? What's in our lives presently? If you think about it this way, when it comes to being free of bondage, free of addiction, free of guilt and shame, um, we can buy into the lie that some sin is so strong that God just can't free us right now. I'll just get a little better, try a little harder. But if you think about that, it repudiates the work of Christ on the cross who brings salvation and freedom he didn't look at the woman who was caught in adultery and say, hey, you know what? Not a great lifestyle. Try harder. He said, go, sin no more. Be free. I don't condemn you. You can walk out of this thing. You can walk out of this life into a new life. We need to begin to believe that Christ has the power to set us free. Like free totally and wholly. Jordan Banoff, I love this quote, he says, if you're not free from sin until you die, then Jesus isn't our savior, death is. 
Come on. We can't, well, everyone struggles, everyone, no, 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 no. There was a book that was meant to help, I think, men walk through um, pornography addiction. It came out like 15 years ago, a while ago, but it was called Every Man's Struggle. And there was like some good content in the book, but honestly, I hated the title because I was like, you know what? It's like, well, you know, every man, no, you know what? I know guys who don't. Right? How easily we take on the identity of brokenness, how easily it becomes our identity. Now, every person's going to have to make a choice. It doesn't have to be everyone's struggle. Right? Oh, it's so quiet. Okay. You know what? If you just smile at me, it will. Amber's smiling at me. So, here's the groundwork I want to do today, because we're not going to have time to, once we get into one, it takes a minute, right, to go through the different ones. I, I want to take time for it. Um, so I just want to lay a groundwork, because we can, you can say, like, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. But how many of you know sin, in a very practical sense, sin is just uh, filling a legitimate need with an illegitimate thing. It's filling a legitimate need with an illegitimate thing. So you can have a list of things you shouldn't do or participate in or look at, but what you really need to do is identify the need and fill it. And the need isn't like, well, if I had a woman, if I had a guy, no. People can't solve this problem for you, right? God wants to fill that need you have, and the need is this, and this is the groundwork I want to lay today. Every single one of us was made for intimacy, and by intimacy, I don't mean a euphemism for sex. I mean intimacy. To be really known and to really know people. Now, for the introverts in the room, <laughs> you don't have to know 50 people. But every single one of us need to have intimacy in our lives. Friendships and relationships that are rock solid people who really, really know you, and you really know them. You've seen them on their worst days. You've seen them on their best days. They don't have to wear a mask for you. They don't have to hide for you. They're not afraid to tell you the worst part, and they're not afraid to tell you their dreams. People I have found are more likely to tell me their bad stories of things they've done than they are to tell me their dreams. We're more ashamed of our dreams sometimes and things that we feel like could be true than we are sometimes of our sin. And when we have healthy, intimate relationships, guess what? It elevates us. Because when people hear our dreams and they begin to root for our dreams, we begin to believe more in God's design for us. And what he said is true. We are made for intimacy. The lack of it in our culture is killing us. There was, a, um, there was an article I read. I'll actually make a copy of it and have it available next week because I think some of you might, I'll make several copies. Some of you might really find it interesting. Um, but it was an article I read, um, oh, the journal, sorry. Oh, it was from a Pew Research Report um, on um, the article was written, taken from that report. Um, but it was dealing with um, men and physical touch. And it was talking about how men are experiencing very high levels of depression and isolation because at this point in our society, they aren't allowed to have physical touch. They're not allowed to give it and receive it in almost every context, which is not how we were made. So men are, I'm not speaking for all men, I'm not a man, so I can't, but I'm just from the article, I'm gonna say, so according to this report, men were afraid to touch children because they're afraid of how it's gonna be interpreted. And so kind of the natural play you would do and hugging and affection you would give, men are afraid to do in our culture because somebody might interpret that as like a deviant desire. Men are afraid to touch women because they're afraid they'll be accused of inappropriate behavior or they're afraid they might interpret it as an invitation that they're not making. Men are afraid to touch other men 
might be perceived as playing for the wrong team. Speaking of that, is there a game today? No. <laughs> that's, that's as much as I can give you. I don't follow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's in it again? Goat. He is, come on, he's the goat, right? No, okay. I'm out. What am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> but think about that. Like in every sphere, men are isolated from touch. And so this report was about just how devastating that has been for men in our culture. How psychologically devastating that has been. That's just one aspect of how intimacy in our culture has been either really cheapened or completely disallowed. I went to India um, to do some missions work years ago now. It's been 20 years ago, probably. Um, and I was so struck by the men in India. I was like, I was in my 20s at the time, so I hadn't been a lot of places around the world. So it was very surprising, like, compared to American culture. So in India, you walk through the streets, you walk around from city to city. It didn't matter if it was like, um, it didn't matter if it was um, Delhi or if it was, uh, um, where do we go with a T? Um, Darjeeling or whether it was um, Calcutta. It was the same everywhere. Men, grown men would hold hands in the street and walk down the street holding hands or have arms around each other. People who were very good friends. Grown boys would sit on their father's lap as they're talking with friends. They'd all people sit on the street a lot and they'd be playing games or maybe having a drink of something. And like boys, Luke's age, 14, 15, 16, would be sitting on their dad's laps, laughing and joking with the other grown men. It was shocking to me. Fathers were holding their sons' hands like grown sons. I was just surprised at how freely the men in India gave and received affection. But it's a much more conservative culture. Things like homosexuality are not accepted, and so they don't worry about what signals they're giving. And you know what I'm saying? Some things that maybe we were in our culture, they don't worry about there. But I was just struck at how expressive the men were and how physical touch was so much a part of their culture, and nobody seemed ashamed of it or afraid of it. It was really beautiful and honestly shocking to participate, like to see and be a part of. But we're made for intimacy. If you think about the creation of human beings, how did it happen? Out of the overflow of God's love, he creates man. And he says, Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image. So he's not just making a creation He's making a creation in his image. You care much more deeply about things you create in your image than other things you may create. Right? Has anyone here ever participated in a search? Like there's a lost child or there's a... Anybody ever gone to... Sometimes there's a call, hey, we need people to come search over in this city or that city. Anyone done that? Really? Good on you. One person, right? Um, I've never done that. <clears throat> I've never said it's a two-hour drive, but I'm going because a kid is lost. I figure people that live there are going to do that. If my child was lost, I wouldn't leave those woods until whatever the news was, I knew it. It wouldn't matter if it rained or snowed or sleeted or hailed. You wouldn't leave the forest until you had found your child. Right? Something you made in your image. If we, parents who struggle to figure out even how to parent, if that's how we feel about children made in our image, what does God feel about man that he's made in his image? And when in Genesis chapter 1, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they say, let us make man in our image, they're doing it with the full knowledge of how much we would make them suffer. Because we know from the book of Revelation, Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. So they knew in the very beginning, this is what it's going to cost us, and yet they still chose to make you and to make me.
And when we look at their relationship, there is this intimacy. Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, he really fleshes this out, but elsewhere as well. Jesus constantly uses language, like I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, and now he's, I'll be in you. And there's this sense of this intimacy. Not like, I am God, and I will give you marching orders, and, right? There's this sense of like, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Write this language. Um, some, from John 17, here's just a sampling. John 17, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe me through their message. So he's praying for us in this room, right? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to, give, to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Right? It is like this. Like there's no space in between. Right? There is a unity and there is an intimacy that God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, shares, but then invites us into. Come and be known. And come and know me. Think about how our culture's vision of God is so different than that. A God up in heaven just waiting for you to screw up. Some old guy who wound up a clock and stepped back and said, let's see how you do with it, right? This is a totally different picture than that. I've created you for intimacy. Just like I share with my father, we will share with you. And there'll be unity. And then he says, out of you experiencing that with me, now you will love each other. And you will experience intimacy. You can really be known. And listen, we need, obviously our needs being met by God, but you need people too. God saw that Adam was alone and it wasn't good before the fall. Before the fall of man, he saw a need that Adam had for relationship and intimacy with another human being. And so he makes us, and we're his workmanship, created for good works in Christ, made in his image. And he uses language about us, like constantly. Jeremiah 31 is one place. He'll say things like, I've loved you with an everlasting love. He's talking to like his rebellious people at that point. And what is he saying by saying everlasting love? Your stupid choices still have not exhausted. <laughs> My love for you. He's good. 1 John 4, all of 1 John, really. But 1 John 4 talks about, listen, the Father is love. All who know him love and are loved. And his perfect love casts out fear. It's so good. The vision that God gives us of the kind of relationship we can have with him and with each other is intimate. People who are known and are for you, who believe in you, who believe in the design God made for you, and the fact that we live such isolated lives leaves us open to try to replace those, those needs for intimacy with all kinds of corrupted things. And sex just happens to be an easy one. We can replace it with other things, but sex just happens to be an easy one. And so the thing, sex, that became a tool for intimacy in one kind of relationship under marriage covenant has become a catch-all for our loneliness. And people keep thinking, like, you watch shows, they keep thinking there must be something else. And so people keep trying more and more corrupted ways to fill that place with all kinds of things, but specifically with sex. And I'm telling you, we're at a point now where the hedonism I mean, it's eating people alive. 
and you can actually see it happen in real time, right? I mean, come on. Not that we don't want the best for people, but there's times you'll see the news, you'll see a star or whatever who's living all kinds of crazy, and you're like, I give him two years. <laughs> Anybody ever have those thoughts? Like, that's a train wreck happening. And you just see people falling off cliffs, trying to find any way to fill that place, which is made for intimacy and wholeness that we get first from God, and then we can experience with each other. But listen, we're born with it broken because in the fall, everything gets broken. Our relationship to God is broken. Our relationship to nature is broken, right? Sickness and death enter the world through sin. Our relationship within ourselves is broken, and our relationship to each other is broken in the fall. And so as we walk with God, we learn how to live in health, and we learn how to make place for intimacy. So here's what I want us to do today as we're running out of time and we can't go any further. I want us just to open up our hearts and minds to him to prepare us for the word today, but also for the word over the next few weeks because we're going to have to talk about hard things and things that run completely counter to our culture. And listen, if you can receive his word, if you can prepare, position your heart toward him and know that he loves you, And know that he's willing that none should perish. It becomes a word of life. If we can't position our hearts toward him, it becomes a word of condemnation. And that is not his desire in this house. Yeah? He's preparing us for freedom. He's preparing us for freedom. There's so much more I want to do to lay groundwork today, but we're not going to have time for it. So we're going to stop there. I know it's a hard stopping place. We need a little bit closure. But as the worship team comes and you stay seated just for a minute, here's what I want us to do. If there's areas where intimacy has become corrupted for you, maybe it's not sexually. Maybe it's just closed off. You've been hurt, right? And so the idea of trusting people, the idea of being known and knowing, the idea of being that close to people is terrifying. <laughs> then let God come and do work there because you can't, you can't finish that way. You might legitimately be there because of circumstances, but you can't finish that way. God has a design for your life and it's going to require you to live open-heartedly. And so he wants to bring healing. So, just as you're meditating on the Lord, would you just ask him, like, God, are there some lies I'm believing that you want to replace with truth? He is speaking to us all the time. Ask him, are there some lies I'm believing you want to replace with truth? Maybe it's a hopelessness. Maybe it's an acceptance of things the world has said are true about intimacy. And then the second question I'd like you to ask God, am I living in hope? Am I living in hope? When, when we allow him to begin to stir up hope in us, then we can believe him. When we have no hope, we can't believe him. We just stay in control, right? Life seems too out of control to believe him and trust him. But we just ask him, God, do I have hope? in this area that I can be known and I can know it's not that nobody will ever hurt you but guess what you can live totally isolated and still get hurt <laughs> you know what I mean but is there a hopefulness is there a hope there would you ask him to stir up a desire if there's no hope there would you ask him to stir up a desire God give me a desire to run close to you Give me a desire to have your people near, to have friendships with believers who are going where I'm going, where we can really root for each other. As he's speaking to you, he might reveal some lies you agree with. For some of you in this room, there's guilt and shame because the enemy has spoken lies about who you are and what your identity is, and it is a lie. And he wants to replace that with truth.
For some of you in this room, he's revealing there's fear that he wants to come and replace with hope. But there's work he wants to do in this room today and over the next few weeks. And the end result isn't just like sexual purity, right? That's just a, that's a good side effect. The end result is wholeness. The end result is wholeness and intimacy with God, a trust in him that he is good and he is for us and no circumstance can contradict it. No lie of the enemy can contradict it. So as we worship, would you be listening to him? There's also folks here, prayer team, if you could come on up. There's folks who can pray with you for anything. Maybe you're sick in body. Maybe there's something God's stirring up and you'd like someone to pray with you. But there'll be folks here in front on each side. I think there'll be some folks in back in that alcove too you can pray with. You can pray with any believer near you because every believer has the kingdom without measure. Would you stand? We're going to take some time to respond to God, respond to the word, to listen to his voice, to worship. Come on, come on. There are things you thought weren't possible. There's a freedom maybe you thought wasn't possible to live in. It is possible. Let him do the work. Let him do the work. Let him strengthen you. He's so good. And listen, freedom's in the house. If you want it, you can have it. It's in the house. Amen.
God is doing in us and where he takes us next. He's preparing us for it. Purifying his house so we can lead people into freedom. People who are crippled right now in bondage, he's raising up powerful. He's raising you up mighty. He's not going to let you stay small bring you freedom. <laughs> Over these next couple weeks, would you just be praying for the work that God wants to do in us and through us? It's not just time for this message. This is the timing. There is something God is doing now. It's a word he's speaking now for freedom in this season, preparing us for what comes next. <laughs> like gold being refined. They turn the temperatures up and more impurities come to the surface and they whoo, slough it off the top and that gold becomes refined in the refiner's fire. He's refining us, purifying us, taking away everything that causes the reflection of his glory in our lives to be cloudy and obscured. He's so good. He's so good. Would you just turn to the person next to you and say, God is good. And we haven't seen anything yet. Like, the best is yet to come. He's good. His design for you is good. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. Encourage somebody. Encourage somebody, speak a word of life. Find someone new you don't know, speak a word of life and encouragement. God is good. Amen. God bless you. Love you.